American Indian Airwaves. For Marcus Lopez, Fabiana Hirsch, I'm your host for the hour, Larry Smith. Overcoming the misconceptions of the transmission of brucellosis from bison to cattle, which has never been a, a case in the wild, but is the driver behind the mismanagement of buffalo in the Yellowstone National Park. The task at hand is to create a holistic relationship with tribes as well as advocacy for the buffalo that can adequately encompass those diverse needs of tribes as well as the rest of the citizens of the country who value buffalo as our national mammal. On today's program, we'll speak with the leading organization protecting the last remaining original buffalo and stopping the Yellowstone National Park's slaughter of bison. You're listening to American Indian Airwaves. You can hear when the moon shines bright, the lone blue elk in the black of the night. You can hear, you can hear the whisper in the valley. Mm-hmm. And you know when come a cunny blows to the Bahu drum. today's program we go to the Yellowstone National Park and the surrounding areas where over the decades the Yellowstone National Park has systematically engaged in a campaign to permit the slaughter of the last original remaining bison. Over the past year there have been 859 buffalo killed and since 1985 12,575 buffalo have been killed and there have been 540 buffalo captured by the Yellowstone National Park. The Yellowstone National Park has engaged in a systematic campaign fabricating a disease, uh, the brucellosis transmission to cattle, as a pretext to permit the killing of bison. On today's program, Marcus Lopez and myself speak with James Holt Sr. from the Nez Perce Nation. He's executive director of the Buffalo Field Campaign, which since 1997 has been at the forefront of protecting the last free remaining herd of bison relatives in the lower 48 states and promoting and advocating for the increase of bison habitat and populations. The Buffalo Field Campaign has also been at the forefront in attempting to stop the Yellowstone National Park's bison slaughter. And now James Holt Sr., Executive Director of the Buffalo Field Campaign. The Buffalo Field Campaign is a grassroots organization that has been in the field since 1997, advocating for the protection of the last free-roaming herd, consistently free-roaming herd of buffalo in the lower 48. We do that by advocating for habitat outside of the Yellowstone National Park and to bolstering the population, the remnant population that is being managed for by state and federal agencies. And what are some of the the main struggles that are happening right now that you and the work of the Buffalo Field Campaign are doing? 
the biggest struggle is um, overcoming the misconceptions of the transmission of brucellosis from bison to cattle, which has never been a, a case in the wild, but is the driver behind the mismanagement of, of buffalo in the Yellowstone National Park. The, the fear is that the brucellosis disease will spread throughout cattle herds and have an economic impact on those ranchers. Um, so that's a driver of the management of, of the priorities in Yellowstone that we have to overcome. And the science is there. There's never been a documented case. So, you know, all of the management plans, the infrastructure, the foundation that is predicated upon that, it's, it's really tough to amend that once it's put in place. I wanted to get into uh, some of this, uh, the specific as far as the campaign, but why don't you give the listeners a little bit of history of the bison in the United States? A lot of people don't know that. Give us a, 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 a quick overview of the United States and its expansion. What it has to do with the buffalo or bison? Why don't you give us a little bit of history review? Yes, uh, a big part of that, um, these policies were driven by the need to colonize tribes, taking away their subsistence food sources, their the tools, um, which was the, the buffalo represented in many ways the cultural, traditional subsistence components, the spiritual aspects. Removing that um, access harnessed the tribes in many ways. And so this is uh, what we see today. The slaughter of the bison reduced them to 23, I believe it was, wild buffalo in the Lamar Valley, so they were protected. Wow. And the, the buffalo that are in Yellowstone today are the descendants of those buffalo. They've always been wild. They've um, never been mixed with cattle. And the, the, they represent buffalo that have always been in their own homeland. So they're very unique in that regard. Obviously, tribes have a huge effort right now in restoring buffalo to their lands and reuniting with those many ties that were severed as a part of federal Indian policy. Thank you. And, and within that particular history, we know that millions upon millions of, of bison or buffalo used to roam the whole, uh, the, the central, and not further within the continental United States. It was a, a very much of a, like what you said, a component of the indigenous peoples. Now, because of that, would you say that the elimination of buffalo was a main instrument of colonization within the tribes within that area? I would say yes. There was definitely something that harnessed tribes in a lot of ways and forced them into adopting colonized systems. And that has progressed over time to where that, um, you know, we approach bison management as it exists in that colonized framework where we, um, tribes are forced to comply, as it were, with these colonized concepts of herd management, fencing, uh, inoculation to have herds. And so they, they accept these conditions, um, which themselves are colonized conditions, when we all know that uh, we have the sacred relationship with our Mother Earth, with our brothers and sisters in creation, you know, that we would want them to be as wildlife as they were created, as Creator intended. So that's kind of like the mission, getting back to what drives Buffalo Field Campaign, is advocating for those wild buffalo to proliferate the landscape once again, to, to take their niche, to heal the land, and help provide for the indigenous peoples as they see fit. 
as you know or may know, um, you touched upon it briefly, is the, the bison, you know, ranged all across the Great Plains mm. um, from the Mississippi River west to the Rocky Mountains and beyond. So that's a, a host of tribes, a host of cultures, a host of relationships uh, that sprung from their relationship with buffalo. And so today, that applies in many different contexts, those tribes that have a spiritual relationship, those that have a, a subsistence relationship, those that have a treaty-reserved hunting rights uh, as a relationship. And so the task at hand is to, is to create a holistic relationship with tribes as well as advocacy for the buffalo that can adequately encompass those diverse needs of tribes as well as the rest of the citizens of the country who value buffalo as our national mammal. I know that talking with Rosalie Yellowfunder, who is a one to the spirit world, that she was very much connected culturally with the bison and the cult- cultural view of that. Do you feel that a lot of people just kind of don't understand? It's not only about, which is an important thing about the species protection, but also cultural view and that to make a connection is pretty hard in a kind of like a Western format, but you're still, it's very important to you, is it not? Yes, the, that spiritual relationship, uh, you know, I remember, as I appreciate you bringing up Rosalie Littlefender, our co-founder, you know, bringing that spiritual and cultural context to the organization and representing that through all everything we did. Um, you know, those are big shoes to fill. And, you know, we, we see tribes, that are establishing relationships with Buffalo, we see that in many ways the spiritual, that cultural um, relationship, it comes hand in hand. Uh, I've been reflecting on that uh, very much lately about what I've seen. It's best uh, quantified in my own experience with the Nez Perce tribe and our our reconnection to the Buffalo back in the mid-1990s. You know, that's, that tie had been severed for us back in the 1870s. That was the last time we got to go to the buffalo country to hunt, to have a relationship in that meaningful way. And so reuniting with buffalo and being able to exercise treaty rights once again, it, 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 it touched a lot of people. Entire bands of Nez Perce went to buffalo country to hunt and would live there for years at a time and come home with vast stores of buffalo meat. We saw that connection being reunited, that piece of themselves that had been dormant, you know, for over a century because of that policy regarding wild buffalo management. And so we see that, I guess, that spontaneous combustion reunite within tribes across the country as they reestablish relationships with buffalo. And so I, I earnestly hope and I pray that tribes embrace that spiritual and that cultural component as they they bring buffalo home to their tribes and in subsistence in that subsistence way Um, because it's not perfect you know we know that um, fences are not what we want Um, inoculations are not what we want but the the condition of our tribes on reservation the lack of um, adequate housing education uh, dietary needs, all of these things come together holistically where the tribes have very real needs and buffalo are, are needed. Our relationship then with them spiritually is needed. Practically for the health of our bodies, our elders and our single mothers is needed. So 
it's a it's very difficult to juggle these things and and having a spiritual connection will give you the respect and honor that understanding necessary to speak for the buffalo as it takes place James uh, in in listening to you uh, share your words I can't help but think uh, you brought up the 1870s and you know 1871 was the last year or the kind of the closure of the treaty era if you will and it also was um, kind of that beginning point in settler colonial history of of the materialization of the quote-unquote the vanishing Indian but also in the early 1870s is when we see the mass uh, slaughter, right? Four and a half million uh, buffalo being slaughtered in, in a three-year period alone. And then in talking about uh, the relationship and the inter- interconnectedness with the bison and how that culturally sustains the people and where we are today in terms of bison relative population in relationship to Nez Perce traditions and cultures. And, and I was wondering maybe you could unpack a little bit more for us some of those um, colonial factors that the Nez Perce have to, and other indigenous peoples are, are dealing with and the work of the Buffalo uh, Field Campaign, the work you're doing, you know, in terms of the National Park Service, Yellowstone Park, hunters, you know, we haven't explored yet, but also the commodification of the bison industry. And I was wondering if you could just kind of uh, unpack that for us. Yeah, um, it's, uh, I appreciate the question. It's very, as I was stating earlier, that's a very complex uh, picture that you drew from there. The Nespers tribe, uh, one of the things that, uh, and that's, I'll speak from this context as I'm a tribal member, we have what we have called uh, Tamalwit. And that's our sacred responsibility, our sacred relationship with um, all of our brothers and sisters of creation. You know, we were given this um, these things by our Mother Earth and Creator, the clean water, the salmon, the buffalo, the elk, the berries, the roots. All of these first foods were given to us. But it was also a responsibility to always speak for them and stand for them. And so we had always said throughout time that, you know, we would never kill the last salmon as we um, begin to get into these salmon wars with um, state governments and the federal government relying on treaty reserved rights to support that sacred relationship that we have with salmon to speak for them. And so today that has spawned into, you know, Columbia River Treaty Tribes being one of the strongest fish recovery agencies in the, in the nation. And to translate that responsibility that relationship with Brother Buffalo to Yellowstone. And, and the Nespers have taken the stance that our Tamola is with wild buffalo. So we can only go and hunt wild buffalo. We don't want uh, fenced-in animals. We don't want that, that structure for them because Creator didn't make them that way. That's not the same with other tribes. And you're listening to American Indian Airwaves. We're speaking with James Holt Sr. He's executive director of the Buffalo Field Campaign. We're speaking on the Buffalo Field Campaign's work in protecting the last free-roaming herd of buffalo in the Yellowstone National Park and surrounding areas, as well as stopping the Yellowstone National Park's systematic campaign permitting the slaughter of buffalo. And now back to the interview with James Holt Sr., Executive Director of the Buffalo Field Campaign. 
uh, other tribes, um, they have a different relationship and a different way about them that is equally correct, equally right, equally honorable, respectful. And it's not diminished in any way by their need to speak for their people. Because I understand that there's these huge processes going on right now with the Intertribal Buffalo Treaty, the great work that's being done by the Intertribal Bison Council, the Buffalo Council. You know, all these tribes are, are seeking to establish herds, to put buffalo back on the Great Plains, to, to see them return to their homelands. And, and this is the structure, the construct by which they have to participate. And I, I get that. You know, I'm speaking about yellow Yellowstone buffalo, that mm. that wild population there, and, and that habitat that surrounds the park. And there's a huge ecosystem that's left untapped, that's left empty. The landscape is hurting because of generations of mismanagement. And we see that Yellowstone, that wild buffalo, the way they forage, the way they move, they heal the land, they regenerate plant and tree species, they they strengthen the viability of other wildlife to persist in this age of climate change, in this age of habitat destruction and the repealing of environmental laws. Tribes have a, a very a very hard responsibility to take as we exercise our relationship with our brothers and sisters in creation. I've heard the words of those Plains tribes and their great chiefs and their ancestors speak about the importance of buffalo. So I know that they they see and understand these things as I say them. And I know that, um, you know, we all have the same concerns about our peoples and the same concerns about wildlife. And, and hopefully, my hope is that tribes can begin to um, establish their foundations enough to begin to look back at the habitat of, of Yellowstone buffalo and to say that if we're going to receive these, these buffalo from Yellowstone National Park through the Fort Peck program, that we will also speak for the landscape, we'll speak for the homelands of these buffalo, mm. that great intertribal use area that exists around Yellowstone can once again, once again become that great buffalo commons it was over a century ago. And it's becoming that by the way the Park Service in the state of Montana are orchestrating the transfer of buffalo to support tribal, tribal herds. So there's a lot that can be done in, in practical ways that I hope as tribes build their herds and provide for their people's subsistence and begin to establish stronger spiritual ties that that we um, don't forget that tumult that need to speak for the land. And it, it, it can begin at the wellspring of, of all these buffalo in this land. That's with the Yellowstone herds. Mr. James Holt Sr., thank you for so much for that insight. Uh, I wanted to ask you about the Interagency Bison Management Plan. Talk about that to us and about the the northern herd and the central herd. Yes, the, the Interagency Bison Management Plan was sprung out of a court case by the cattle industry out of fear of brucellosis transmission, as I uh, outlined earlier. You know, their priority is to manage wild buffalo for a what I would consider a arbitrary number of 3,500 buffalo. So every year the plan itself demands that the buffalo be managed for that target population. Mm. The, the actions that support that plan are hazing, 
uh, animals to quarantine facilities, shipping them to slaughter, or or having hunting on those animals. The the ship to slaughter program are concerned that brucellosis be transmitted from buffalo to cattle. So all of these plans uh, and actions and activities spawned out of that. They set a target population of 3,500 buffalo for the Yellowstone National Park, and all activities are to support that. One of the biggest travesties is the annual ship to slaughter that is a, a key component for the managing agencies that the state Montana Department of Livestock and the National Park Service, and they kill hundreds of buffalo. What, what we would hope as a part of that process is to change um, fundamentally how they manage buffalo. The Buffalo Field Campaign and our supporters assert that buffalo are are very suppressed population, that they are they do deserve protections um, as a species of conservation concern that the to allow it to proliferate and fulfill the ecological niche uh, necessary to ensure its viability and its long term long term protection um, on the landscape. I think it's so important what you describe. It's very complicated, but I think one of the things that you mentioned is about the earlier before you talk about the um, Basolius bacteria that so-called the the buffalo is transmitting to the cattle industry. That's a myth, isn't it? Yes, that that's a myth. There's never been a, a documented case of a brucellosis transmission from a buffalo to cattle in the wild. I mean, never mind the fact that it was the cattle industry itself that transmitted that to bison in the first place. The the irony around the situation is that there there are a huge number of elk in the Yellowstone ecosystem that carry brucellosis that have transmitted to cattle that do not have any of the restrictive policies or the um, the deadly policies that. Montana Department of Livestock and National Park Service enact on buffalo. So it's a disparate system, and that makes no sense in that regard. It really boils down to um, the use of those public lands for the cattle industry. And You know, if we begin to manage bison as wildlife, support them as a species of conservation concern, and manage them accordingly, they would proliferate, fill the ecosystem, and, and really be a a benefit to the landscape, to the tribes, and to the wildlife in the way it was intended. Yes, Mr. Mr. Holt, you also, the, the Buffalo Phil Campaign, the Friends of Animals, and the Western West um, Watersheds Project was back in, in court to petition the district population segment of Yellowstone talking about the endangered species protection. Please talk to us about that. Well, if they were afforded those uh, protections under the Inva Endangered Species Act as a species of conservation concern, they could begin to identify uh, the habitat necessary to support the, the, the viability of those bison populations. Um, as you stated earlier, the central herd, which is really the roots of, of all wild bison there in the Yellowstone area, are severely dim diminished by these slaughter policies that are enacted by those managing agencies. So they're taking away the genetic viability of these buffalo by the way they're managed right now. 
and they're diminishing that, those populations. So by, by seeking this protection, we could have the wildlife begin to be managed as wildlife as well as protect that habitat around the area and begin to enact policies that are, are beneficial rather than de- detrimental. You were talking about the interagency bison management plan, and um, you're talking about uh, the Montana livestock interests, if you will. And it's my understanding that since late February of this year, more than 800 of these bisons, or nearly 18%, have been eliminated through slaughter, quarantine, and hunting. And in addition, as to what you were saying, that central herd, the populations declined since 2006, had, there was a population of 3,531 to just over 1,000 as of 2019. And, and you're talking about the Endangered Species Act as a, as a way to, to help protect these relations, these, the bison or the buffalo. And I know last year with the Trump administration, as part of the Trump administration's assault, if you will, on a variety of federal policies— changed the and gutted out part of the Endangered Species Act. And I was wondering in the work that the Buffalo Field Campaign is doing and uh, attempting to get the bison listed under uh, the Endangered Species Act as a threatened species, uh, what additional obstacles have you faced or are you facing? You know, many of those challenges are still emerging uh, today. You know, a lot of that concrete application has yet to be felt on the ground mm-hmm. so you know we're still waiting you know the the freedom of information has also been hindered you know we're seeing it's tougher to get access to this public information to really get a grasp of how these actions are going to apply on the ground so as we seek these endangered species act protections we also have to call the task the government to supply us with the information in the background data of what's driving their actions. And we're finding that a lot of that is not based on science, that they're, they're grasping for straws to ensure that the cattle industry's interests are placated. So there's so much that could be done as we discuss, you know, addressing those tolerance zones that they've, they've tried to apply to, to habitat. You know, the fractionization of all these processes needs to be unified in a in a system and a plan that that centers buffalo. And that's really what it's all about. And yes, it'll be difficult to address these uh, changes or s- proposed changes to the Endangered Species Act, the National Environmental Policy Act. You know, that's all getting impacted. And it's going to take the citizenry um, to support a buffalo field campaign as we, to have that open and transparent government to support us in our efforts as these things come about. You reported on the on your communication of the Buffalo Phil campaign that the um, Fish and Wildlife Service is unnecessarily delaying a species status review. Talk about that. If my memory serves correctly, that species uh, review and the supporting documents behind the management plan are all the environmental assessments. You know, they're they're over a decade old. They're outdated, and the science is there. I mean. Our habitat coordinator, Daryl Geist, has, has has been bird-dogging that issue um, for the last 30 years at least. And, you know, we know the conditions on the ground. We know the habitat is there. But we need this founded in science. We need these plants founded in science. Um, we need people who are objective that will place 
um, bison as a wildlife species at the forefront. Right now, mixing it with the Department of Livestock is, a, I believe, is a, a slap in the face to buffalo that they need to, um, as a national mammal, need to be treated as such and given the respect that is warranted. So there's a lot to do in that regard. I was curious what role, if any, um, treaties play in this situation and and or the UN's Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. You know, the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indian Peoples, um, I really can't speak to that because I haven't been involved in those many tribal arenas. I would hope that it would have an influence, but I also know that the United States pulled out of almost every human rights arena around the world and repealed some of those acts and laws where they could get away with it here in the United States. So, you know, actively protecting human rights is not a priority in my review. But as for the application of treaty rights, I I do see that as taking an important role regarding harvest and, you know, having the resource there on the ground. The the state, the federal government, they're definitely attempting to couch treaty reserved hunting rights as a, a management tool, which is not how the tribes, tribal membership themselves see that. You know, I, we spoke earlier about the spiritual, cultural context, and, and that's revolves around hunting as well. So I believe treaty rights um, do have a role to play in amending and advancing uh, quality management of buffalo and treating buffalo as a wildlife species. As I said earlier, there's a lot of different relationships, legal and um, other, that the federal and state agencies have to um, consider. Those inter-tribal consortia, you know, they have a tough task of... uh, balancing the needs of their member tribes as they facilitate these transfers of buffalo to support their tribal herds. A big piece of that is to advocate for tribes such as the Nespers tribe, the Yakima Nation, the Confederate tribes of the Umatilla Indian Reservation, just to name a few that um, are solely interacting with Yellowstone buffalo in the context of treaty hunting and, and requiring those animals on the ground to provide for their subsistence needs. So subsistence itself comes in a, with a big responsibility in, in ensuring that all the policies that tribes themselves assert are consistent with it um, across the, the landscape and um, have a unified voice. And that concludes part one of our two-part interview with James Holt Sr. He's from the Nez Perce Nation and is executive director of the Buffalo Field Campaign, an organization that's been working for the past several decades to protect the last original remaining bison, increasing bison habitat and populations, as well as stopping the Yellowstone National Park Service's bison slaughter campaign. You're listening to American Indian Airwaves. We're going to take a short break and come back with part two of our interview on protecting the bison or buffalo, as well as getting a COVID-19 update in the heart of the Nez Perce Nation. You're listening to American Indian Airwaves. Thought by thought, beauty by beauty, each sunrise a link on the ladder. Thought by thought. Beauty by beauty, the ladder, the backbone of shimmering deity. Thought by thought, beauty by beauty, child stirring in the web of your mother. Don't be afraid. Oh, 
to walk through the door. Don't be afraid. Do not be The song Morning Song off the album Winding Through the Milky Way by poet, musician, playwright, and author who's also the incumbent United States Poet Laureate, the first Native American to hold that honor, Joy Harjo, off the album again, Winding Through the Milky Way. In the second part of our program today here on American Indian Airwaves, we continue our interview in part two with James Holt Sr. from the Nez Perce Nation. He's also executive director of the Buffalo Field Campaign, which since 1997 has been at the forefront of protecting the last free roaming herd of bison relatives in the lower 48 states and promoting and advocating for the increase of the bison habitat and population as well as tirelessly working to stop the Yellowstone National Park Service's bison slaughter campaign. And now part two of our interview with James Holt Sr. on protecting the bison, as well as getting a COVID-19 update 
in the heart of the Nez Perce Nation, located within the politically defined borders of the state of Idaho. And now, Protecting the Bison with James Holt Sr. One of the things um, that Native people are always in focus on is when they say all our relations. Mr. Holt Sr., You've been protecting the Buffalo Phil campaigns, been protecting the northern herd, central herd, and the, the effort of protecting the families. And when I say the families, I do really mean this is not a sense of, of a distance, but a sense of very intimate families trying to protect them like our own families at home. And today the Buffalo Phil campaign has been the forefront of protecting the onslaught or slaughter, manipulation by the cattle industry, the states, and the federal government from not protecting the buffalo. What do you want our listeners of the Buffalo Phil campaign, what do you want listeners to be, to be aware of at this point in time? I think most importantly that the Buffalo Phil campaign is here for the buffalo, that we, um, we believe that uh, wild Yellowstone buffalo can be a benefit to all peoples and all the land, and that as a as a keystone species, they deserve that honor and respect, that protection, that habitat on the ground, their homeland. They need protection. the The buffalo themselves must be managed in a way that uh, allows them to roam freely. Let buffalo go where they wish, like the elk do, the bighorn sheep, the mule deer, the moose. I could go on on the species that get to go where they please and are managed as such, all except for buffalo. We can change that. We can amend that. We can prioritize buffalo so that they fill that ecological niche and that these processes to transfer buffalo to tribal herds could take place in an even greater scale because the buffalo are there on the landscape. Instead, we're managing for not extinction with the way that those plans are being carried out on the ground. And in many ways, the tribes are forced into these conditions by a quid pro quo system set up by the state and federal agencies that mandate they kill these these buffalo and we 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 watch that it hurts our hearts as buffalo field campaign coordinators and board of directors and staff to watch these buffalo being slaughtered to see them separating out family units for their experiments to look for inoculations that aren't successful in buffalo, but are 100% or near that successful for cattle. So there's a lot of disparities out here, and the Buffalo Field Campaign is centered in buffalo as we do that, and we support tribes in their efforts to, to speak for their peoples and enact that relationship with Brother Buffalo in any way they see fit. Nothing we say or do is ever an affront to a tribe or tribes as a whole. We speak for the buffalo and that we know that the tribes will benefit from that, and we support treaty rights, we support tribal governments as they engage with these federal and state agencies, and we would hope that they would become a better champion for that habitat there around the park and those buffalo there in the park. That's what the Buffalo Field Campaign stands for as we go forward, and, and as an indigenous man, as a Nespers tribal member, it's my honor to be able to, to take up this, this staff and to take it forward for the Buffalo Field Campaign, our supporters, and to understand that there may be instances where um, we are looked down upon by those tribal governments as they they enact their sovereign powers and 
we support them as they do so, and we never seek to impede them in their progress to speak for their people, to address those social concerns on reservations. We understand these conditions, that this colonial lifestyle that has brought us to where we are today, and within this construct, we can begin to decolonize. We can call on these federal and state agencies to support wildlife for the sake of wildlife, to heal the lands, to facilitate the relationship of tribes and the citizens of this country who, on both sides of the aisle, support wildlife, support our public lands, and are devoted to those things. There's many unborn generations yet to come, and we can protect these things for those yet to come. Mm. James, for our listeners that are are listening to all of the good words uh, that you're sharing and in hearing about the work that the Buffalo Field Campaign is doing, what would you like for listeners to do and uh, what kind of information can listeners access if they want more information about the Buffalo Field Campaign and, and how they can help with the Buffalo Field Campaign? Yes, thank you. Um, you can go to uh, our website, that's uh, buffalofieldcampaign.org forward slash species of conservation concern. There we'll have some take action initiatives that where you can file your objections against the Custer Gallatin National Forest and their forest plan that fails to include uh, habitat designations for buffalo. Mm-hmm. You can um, support us by contacting the the regional forester and asking for habitat to be included for bison to include protections for them that are, are necessary for a species to, to rebound from these decades of slaughter that they've been subjected to. You know, they could be given honor and they could be given respect by hearing from supporters around the country demanding that wild bison, bison be given habitat, that they be allowed to migrate that their plans on these federal lands um, reflect uh, wildlife as, as intended by the people. So you, can, so you can submit your objections online. You can go to our website and look for ways, meaningful and practical ways to file your objections and, and voice your concerns about current management. And that was James Holt Sr. from the Nez Perce Nation, Executive Director of the Buffalo Field Campaign, speaking on protecting the original bison populations within the lower 48 states, as well as increasing bison habitat and populations and stopping the Yellowstone National Park's buffalo slaughter campaign. A quick update since our interview with James Holt Sr. According to a recent Buffalo Field Campaign press release, under court order, the Yellowstone National Park was recently mandated to release records to the Buffalo Field Campaign. The Yellowstone National Park had fought to withhold from the public on how the park manages buffalo under their protection. The park's release of records stems from a Freedom of Information Act lawsuit decided earlier this summer by U.S. District Court Judge Donald Malloy, who sided with the Buffalo Field Campaign and ordered Yellowstone National Park Superintendent Cam Scholle's office to make them public. For more information on the Buffalo Field Campaign, you can visit their website at www buffalofieldcampaign.org. 
You're listening to American Indian Airwaves. We're going to take a short break and come back with an update on how COVID-19 is impacting the Nez Perce Nation. I walk with you through the dimension called time. For what are minutes, days, or years compared to father-daughter places in eternity? Little daughter, you the delicate infant child, carry the innocent reality. I pray for your protection, prayers to help you through this life experience. Little daughter, the times I hold you next to me, I am flowing an infinity of love to fill the times I cannot hold you next to me. Little daughter, I am always with you, even when you cannot see me there. Sister, sister, I want to talk to the woman in you. We're under siege in a troubled time. Sister, sister, won't you hear my voice? I'm your brother, but I've made the mistakes of a man. Sometimes it's lonely being a man. The programming has its effect. Isolation. You're listening to American Indian Airwaves, the song, The Cleansing, Red Earth Song by John Trudell off the album, Tribal Voice. Sister, sister, we are all the family of Earth. They have taken us away in their nuclear war, taught us to compete and abuse and blame each other while we're all being used. Sister, sister, hear my heart. It's time to bring the family back. Together we must remember Earth. We must remember what life is all about. Sister, sister, I am your brother. Every time I've ever hurt you, I've always hurt myself. Sister, sister, hear my voice. It's all up to us. We have a choice. Crystal clear tears of salt come when my heart talks with sadness. The tears flow my emotional rivers. It's no damn use to pretend. Pain will not rise again. Crystal clear tears of salt help my heart to feel for something when I do not want to. Clear my vision, see my peace. Men don't cry. Indians are stoic. I tell that to my heart, my eyes, they just laugh at me. And sometimes when my spirit hurts, they make me cry. Crystal clear tears of salt purify my memory. Help me understand this is not the beginning nor the end. For my children, to the people I can talk. When it comes to you, I know what to say. It's I just don't know how. I love you, that's not a question. Showing it has been confusing. My life has drifted always. Somehow I could just never stay. I've rationalized I'm headed to a goal. Yet sometimes my heart hears me running to a future. Always from the past. I love you, don't want you hurt. I want you to realize your potential. I've always been afraid to interfere. My bias, my prejudice, my doubt, the weaker sides of me. I had to protect you, make you stronger. Compassion is to be your companion as you head to your destiny. I've tried the only way I knew. Please try to understand. I didn't know what else to do. And I love you. Yesterday's laughter is the balance for today. Today's tears are the cleansing for tomorrow. We started out the song The Cleansing, read our song by John Trudell off the album Tribal Voice here on American Indian Airwaves.
With the spread of fires throughout the states of California, Oregon, Washington, and Idaho, plus more, and rising COVID-19 rates, such as the Navajo Nation reporting the largest COVID-19 rates and deaths, as well as metropolitan areas like Oklahoma City and Phoenix, Arizona, which have large urban Native American populations, we continue our interview with James Holt Sr. and how COVID-19 is impacting the Nez Perce Nation. The Nez Perce Nation is located within the politically defined borders of the state of Idaho. And in particular, we talk about how COVID-19 is impacting or will impact the Nez Perce's nation's ability to provide quality education to its current and future generations. James, given the precarious times we're in with the spreading of the fires throughout the Northwest and and even into Idaho and Colorado and and other states and, and just the protractedness of this COVID-19 pandemic and how it's impacting just Indian country and urban native populations. So was, and we've been talking about, you know, the, protecting the the bison and the buffalo but for our listeners I was wondering if you could share with us you know just how you're doing how your family's doing and how the Nez Pierce is is doing during these precarious times that all of us find ourselves in yes thank you it's a it's a very difficult time here on the reservation we're having a spike in COVID cases positive cases more and more people are getting put into quarantine greater concern is, is being shown to our you know, the oncoming school year, sports, um, employment at, at the tribal government, um, offices are being temporarily closed um, that can't get away from social distancing parameters. So it's having a real impact on our way of life. All summer long, you know, our youth have been paying a big price. You know, the summer is a time for youth activities to, to help them nurture them, to help them grow with cultural activities, culture camps, fish camps. Yeah. hunting camps, uh, gathering, all these practices that we, we taught our youth are, are not taking place. They're not, they don't have things to do. Um, it's, it's wearing at their, their um, mental health, you know, and that, that goes to uh, what happens to the youth happens to the elders, you know, that full circle, that sacred circle. So our elders are equally having a tough go of it right now with, you know, minimized resources and transportation you know, um, peeling back a little bit of the services that the tribe usually provides for those that um, aren't in the nucleus of the tribal government. So it's, it's, it's impacting us. You know, our having depressed salmon runs this year hurt, having climate change impact our huckleberries and, and not knowing at what elevations and where they're coming into is, is uh, creating uncertainty in our gathering. So there's a lot of uh, environmental conditions that are being magnified by these COVID conditions. And it's, it's a tough time for us all. And I also hope that, um, you know, things are okay with, with your people and your neck of the woods and, and all the listeners out there. You know, it's tough on all of us, and we're all in this together. I'll continue to pray and sing for these things. Mr. Mister Holt, are, are there any particular things that you um, need as far as how's the food situation, how was the information with health care, are there some discrepancies with with um, the general state to your particular nation? Uh, is there certain needs that need to be addressed? 
Oh, no, I think the tribe's doing a great job. I mean, obviously, we want information. We want it now. That's not always the uh, capacity of the tribe to provide that as they weigh the different economic and social factors surrounding, you know, the the situation. So right now I can see that the tribe um, is coming together. They're, they're providing families with uh, um, everything they can with, um, you know, the, the food bank and our commodity food services is doing a great job of, of having the food bank open for us. The tribe is providing um, uh, salmon giveaways uh, as much as they can um, from surplus fish from our hatchery systems around the, the region that can uh, provide because there's no returns. Uh, so hatcheries are not getting their their needs met. So, you know, there's all these cascading impacts and we're just doing the best we can to wade through it all. I, I hope other tribes are 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 doing the best they can and having success like that also. Mr. James Hope Sr., we know that you have traveled throughout the United States and Southern California. What is your message to the young people about this, especially this time of the pandemic? What kind of message do you want to leave with them for young men and women? To, I guess, um, my message to the young people is to um, use your voice to be heard. I listen to the young people in my community and those communities around the country, and the young people are finally getting tired of, of some of these uh, colonial constructs that have been driving the response to some of these these uh, policies. You know, they, they want um, cultural understandings and competency. They want to how, hold that traditional ecological knowledge, that uh, practical governmental knowledge necessary uh, to equip them to be um, indigenous people in today's world. Use that voice. Call for those things. Go to your tribal council. Go to your elders, and 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 set that path. Re, re, we walk those steps to make that path strong once again, and that and that'll help all of the tribal nations go forward. That'll help us all. Helping your household with your voice is going to help all of Indian country. We need you. That would be my message to the young men and women of today: is Indigenous peoples, our Mother Earth needs you, Buffalo. Buffalo needs you. Thank you, James Holt Sr. Uh, what, what is your message to the non-native people, the people that are non-native out there in Indian country? My message is that we're all in this together, that even though this, this conversation here has been very geared toward the indigenous community, that um, we all benefit from having wild, free-roaming buffalo. We all benefit from clean water. We all benefit from protecting land from development and you utilize it in a responsible way. We need allies. We need those to be a voice for us when we're not in the room. We can only be in so many places with this remnant population numbers that we have. And so we need people to speak. We need people to speak for those indigenous interests when we're not there and to speak for Buffalo uh, when they can. Their voice matters because these things are... We're all in this together now. We're all neighbors. Nobody's going anywhere. So we can choose to shake each other's hand and, and to show each other that support. The moment of silence is over. And that was James Holt Sr. from the Nez Pierce Nation, also executive director of the Buffalo Field Campaign, speaking on how COVID-19 is impacting the Nez Pierce Nation 
For more information on the Buffalo Field Campaign, you can visit their website at www.buffalofieldcampaign.org. And that concludes our show for today here on American Indian Airwaves. A special thank you to our guest for the hour, James Holt Sr. A special thank you to our musical guest, Aragon Star, Koopa Aina, Joy Harjo, John Trudell, and the band Blackfire. American Indian Airwaves is mixed and mastered in the studio of Burnt Swamp Studio in Signal Hill, California. For Marcus Lopez, Fabiana Hirsch, I've been your host for the hour, Larry Smith. Until next time. While your freedom manifests on their graves And the blood never comes clean from the guilty minds Nor the hands that hold the chains Silence is over.